Yellow Brick Road journey we're about to descend upon. Mm-hmm. We may man, embark upon that, yes. Man, Wizard of Oz is a really <coughs> fucked up movie. <laughs> yes, yes it was. I mean, when you realize it's all just the delusions of a girl with a massive head wound. <laughs> like, oh man, that, that takes on a real dark tone. Well, had you ever read any further than Wizard of Oz? No. Dude, some of those books are harsh. Like, she's in an asylum and shit. Yeah, that makes sense. She's a woman. Yeah. And those were written in, what, the 20s? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or earlier? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it was just harsh. I, I remember reading them, thinking I'm real excited to read them. And I'm like 10 or 11. And I had read The Lord of the Rings by this point. And I'm like, this is some bleach shit. No, no, no. I couldn't even get through half the book. It's just like uh, the novelization of like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is just like, oh, this is tremendously problematic. Rolandal <laughs> had many problems. That is correct. Oh, yeah. if you think that's bad, read The Great Glass Elevator when he goes oh, to God. where <laughs> the Oompa Loompas lived. Oh, yeah. no, thank you. It gets oh. super racial. Yeah, I don't need to read a story about colonization that somebody made up. Like, yeah, there's enough examples in history. I don't need your, like, fun version of colonization. What are you doing? They already uh. did that. They called them Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, weren't they, like, pygmies in the original? They were, yeah. Yeah, yes. I'd say, I, I don't know if we should say that word or not, but th I believe that's what it was referred to in the book. And I'm pretty sure, like, yes. just recently, Roald Dahl's, like, estate has been like, yeah, we're going to reissue all the books, but without all this bullshit in it. Yeah, we're going to kind of remove all the overt racism. Yeah, and people got really mad about it, I guess. Like, how dare you touch the... It's just like, no, his family wants to make money. Mm -hmm. You know what you can't make money off of? Horrendously racist horse shit. Books they will no longer put in the schools because uh, content? Hmm? There's many of those. Yeah. Some justified, some not, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and speaking of massive racists, hey everybody, welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so you don't have to. My name is Chris Faff, and I am one of your hosts. And I am James Marino, I'm another one of your hosts. And we have a special guest today. Who, who, who you be? I be Aaron Smith. Ah. The, a reign of vagrant they found on the streets uh, to review some movie. I, the I the whitest cracker ass named person that we could possibly find. Mm -hmm. Aaron James Smith. But, it but, doesn't get much. But you water. know exactly why we're you're here, Aaron. Because we are talking about do. 1994's In the Mouth of Madness. Mm -hmm. Already H.P. Lovecraft reference right off the bat. <laughs> wow, 20s 20s racist and eugenics. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So, written by Michael DeLuca, directed by the John Carpenter, starring Jurgen Prochnow as Sutter Kane, Julie Carmen as Styles, and Sam, as I wrote in the no notes, Sam motherfucking Neil as John Trent. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, gentlemen, I, I guess we'll go guess first, uh, first impressions. What did you think of In the Mouth of Madness? It had been many years since I've seen this film, and as I told our host Chris, tried to rewatch it and uh, kind of fell asleep the first couple times. Not gonna lie, didn't catch my attention the way it used to. But sitting full, full review of it, great movie, great movie. Very strange, very out there. Definitely worth another rewatch just to kind of figure out what the hell is actually going on. Hmm. And, and you, you big old slab of man candy? Tee-hee. Um, <clears throat> for most of this movie, I enjoyed it. I was chugging along, eldritch horror. Yeah, well, you know, some of it was kind of cheesy. But, you know, anytime you visualize it, you're going to lose it. If, you know, reading it is better, that kind of horror, I think. But then, the end of this movie happened. And this movie crawled so far up its own ass, it came out its own mouth of madness. You son of a bitch. God damn it. So, I don't know. I, I honestly, um, I, I, I have opinions, put, by the way. I, I, I would put this at a horror 10, but a John Carpenter 7. I would, I would concur with that. Like, hmm. it, it, as far as just being a horror film, it's better than most of the oh, shit yeah, you, yeah. you're going to see. 
But as far as just John Carpenter's work, I, I'd give it's not his best, but I, I still really, really like this movie. It kind of feels like they didn't let Carpenter be Carpenter as much in this. Uh, there, it looked like there might have been some money, more more money involved in it. It looks, I don't know. It, it, there's something missing from the good Carpenter movies in this movie, and I can't f- figure out what it is. I personally thought it was trying to obviously evoke the the eldritch horror themes of Lovecraft and whatnot, but <clears throat> excuse me. It's steeped more into Stephen King territory, I believe, than Lovecraft. So, and I know that Carpenter and Stephen King are friends in real life, so that's probably where some of that inspiration came from. And, I did not know that. And that's what I was thinking, that it's the themes of Lovecraft in the setting of Stephen King melded together by John Carpenter. Which and, sounds like a perfect mashup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you have my attention, Yes. However, I wanted to ask you guys how familiar you are with Lovecraft. Oh, way too familiar. Agreed. Same here. See, I have read maybe one or two like short things, like getting a collection of it in high school, and mm-hmm. maybe one or two. And at this point, I really super duper refuse to read anything from Lovecraft. I understand that he's like the godfather of cosmic horror and what have you. Also a tremendous racist, and mm-hmm. uh, it bleeds through most of his work, as far as I understand, oh, and be- I don't need to read that, and as far as I'm concerned, this is a John Carpenter story. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Good. Steal that shit from that racist motherfucker. I don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, I read some, uh, there was a point where I read, had read so much that if I didn't like something, and instead of saying it sucked, I would say it was squamish and rugose. <laughs> And there's four people that listen to this might be laughing right now, but yeah. one, of, one of them is sitting here. Yes, it, I, I, I knew it that well, and it, it did hit on a lot of it. I mean, throughout the movie, they really did hit on a lot of the tropes, and I, I like what you said. I like it when people take something that sucked from somebody, or you know, something that was decent from somebody that sucked, and give me more of that without the bullshit. Mm-hmm. That is that is very cool. Now that I think about it, I just I'm I'm just upset about the fucking ending of this movie. That's because it's got all from what I understand of you know Lovecrafty and horror. It's got all the scary monsters and the tentacles and the gross shit. Mm-hmm. But it's also just set in the uh, Atlantic Northwest in New England. Mm-hmm. Stephen Su- King nod. Yep, super duper Stephen King. Yeah, setting. but didn't isn't like Miskatonic and all that shit right up there too? I it, mean, it's all it, it's, in Maine. It's still, it, it, it's replacing Arcane essentially with Hobbs End or mm-hmm. Castle Rock. Yeah. So there's your Lovecraft and King comparison right there. And they're very overt with the King references in this movie, which I thought was cool, too. Yeah, because, I mean, previous to this, obviously, uh, John Carpenter had done Christine, which is, I'm sure, I think, where their friendship... That is where their introduction and friendship began, yes. Yeah. And uh, I I went through this, because we had covered The Fog. I did that one with Brad a while ago. And it is fun to list off, like, all of the Carpenter movies from, like, 78-ish until the early 90s because you forget like oh yeah he had that many bangers and I'm not going to go through the list again but uh, because that's the reason that I wanted you here for this Aaron is because we've talked extensively just about uh, our love of John Carpenter oh 100%. So I, I just, because I don't think you and I have ever talked about like what is your level of enjoyment in general of John Carpenter well you got to understand prior to doing this you know, I kind of knew directors, and I knew that Carpenter films were offbeat. Um, traditionally, if you name a title, like a Carpenter title, I'd probably like a bunch of them, but just thinking of them off the top of my head, nothing jumps to mind. But, I, you know, if you tell me three of them, I'd be like, fuck, oh, and did he do this one too? It would be that kind of situation. Because what I really like about John Carpenter especially is that he can do straight-up horror. Mm-hmm. I mean... Halloween is a fucking classic for a reason. Oh, yeah. And he can also, like, he has that, uh, as his career went on, he's kind of just said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to have fun, which is where we get, like, Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I feel like this is the perfect melding between John Carpenter just kind of having fun and also being like, no, I I can still do straight-up horror. Fucking watch this. (laughs) 
But uh, then we have Ghosts of Mars somewhere in there. Yeah. There's <laughs> not seen that one. You don't need to. Oh okay. boy, you super don't need to. <laughs> but it, this is I I don't want to say it's one of my favorite Carpenters because again, it's nowhere near one of my favorite Carpenter movies. Mm-hmm. But I have so much fun watching this because it's like, ah, yeah, there's there's the John Carpenter I know and love. But in the 90s, after everybody had kind of written him off, like, this is after body bags and everything. Like, this was the end of, what is it, the Apocalypse Trilogy? Apocalypse Trilogy, yes, which I, I just found out after watching this. The thing started it. Prince of Darkness was the second, which I have not seen personally. No, that's that's one of the only Carpenter movies that I haven't seen is Prince of Darkness. Yeah, so I, I have not seen the full Apocalypse trilogy, although this was the third installment of that. And uh, like oh, I said, I got a question about that real quick because I, I, I had to do a bunch of reading because I wanted to make sure I had something today. But that wasn't intended, from what I understand, that wasn't intended to be a trilogy. It was kind of a trilogy after the fact. Oh, these all have the same three themes or this theme. Yeah. Once he started doing Prince of Darkness, he realized that he wanted to continue with that theme of just an apocalypse. Just take Mm -hmm. it in different forms. And obviously, none of us have seen Prince of Darkness. Nope. No. Okay. So none of us can speak to any part of that film. But... Obviously, this third one stretches into the the Eldritch horror and the Stephen King elements of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, I, we've talked before about like the classic films. We're probably never going to cover the thing. No. What the fuck are we going to say about the thing? Like volumes have been written about how good that movie is, just on every technical level. So, like, we'll never talk about the thing. That was one of those movies where I didn't want to watch it, but somebody dragged me to it, because prior to this, fuck or. And um, they dragged me to it, and I'm like, fuck this movie, fuck this. And then I shut up for the last 45 minutes of that movie in the theater, which is amazing if you know me, that I shut the fuck up for 45 minutes. And as much as I hate horror and all that, I was transfixed. That was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen at that point. Not even, it's not even close. It's in my top ten films of all time is the thing. Anything, Kurt Russell with facial hair, come on. Well, there you go. You're you're not going wrong there. No. I mean, you're you're hard-pressed to go wrong with Kurt Russell in general. Correct. But the facial hair, Mm. chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. But like I said, we're not going to go into the thing a whole lot, but I have no problem talking about In the Mouth of Madness because it's one of those movies that people kind of see as like a throwaway Carpenter movie. Mm. Like, kind of his... I mean, among the general populace, among the horror community, like, it's big. But, I mean, as a whole, I don't know how this movie wasn't a little bigger than it is, because it's pretty fucking scary in points. But well, I'm John trying to Carver- think of what else was out at the time. Because there might have something might have been something out in 94 that just eclipsed the fuck out of it. I mean, that's fair. That yeah. Is, yeah, that's highly probable. Because all the elements of something you go see on, oh, fuck, what else are we doing? Saturday night, let's, let's go see a movie. This would be the fucking movie to yeah. see. Yeah, and this was the point where John Carpenter wasn't getting as much money. And not only because I don't know if like his movies weren't performing as well, but he's kind of a pain in the ass for the studios because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you can see it when he's just having fun, especially in like Big Trouble in Little China. And you're like, yeah, I see why people wouldn't like this in general. But, man, yeah. this is great. Well, that's why I thought that there might have been some interference on this movie, which why he couldn't be as Carpenter as he usually was. Well, see, I think that he is. And oh, here's okay. why. Because Carpenter has the strange ability to... Uh, I was trying to think of how to say this eloquently. To inject a little bit of realism into a bonkers situation and Mm. vice versa. Like the very introduction of this film is a hospital that looks like a fucking cathedral Mm -hmm. with this insane doctor who's just a maniac. I fucking love that guy. I don't know his name, but but then Sam Neill and the orderlies and everybody else are playing it completely straight. And it's that weird little Carpenter moment when you see just the introduction to this film and you go, nah, all right. Hell yeah, give it to me, my man. Mm-hmm. Do it to me. And then it takes a very dark tone. But there, again, there are points where, like, very dark tone. Oh, I think, yeah, but my- let's have some fun, too. And it's one of those, this does 
kind of like ring true for John Carpenter's. He's a man who just respects entertainment. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple small filmmaking things that he does that are just like, oh yeah, I forgot. He's a guy who like knows how to not only just have fun, but competently make a film. Mm -hmm. Because he does this thing in this where he has a repetitive use of imagery. For example, in the beginning, the policeman beating a man in the alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The second time we see it, it's just the policeman is the kind of ghoulish pig man because mm -hmm. John Carpenter hates authority. <laughs> yeah, he might have a tad bit of The third time it comes around, now he adds in the crowd mm -hmm. with axes behind him. Mm -hmm. And he does it again later with the kid on the bike. And then the kid on the bike is kind of like the old man. Oh, God, that's And then they man. hit the kid. He does this repetitive use of things that keep coming up that, like, drive you into madness. Because especially, like, with the painting, the first time you see it, the second time, like, it does look slightly time. different. But it, it, you keep playing that little game in your own mind of, like, okay, well, I've seen this image before. What's different? How, mm -hmm. how did they change this? And with the old uh, lady that runs the hotel, her Mrs. appearance. Oh. Yeah, Mrs. Pickman. Her appearance the most changes. And you're like, she didn't look like that before, right? The most Carpenter thing in this whole movie, if you ask me, because now I'm thinking about other movies that have seen him, was later in the film. It's like the second time you see her, the old lady. And again, yeah, she looks different, more made up, just more like her eyes look just coming out of her head. And when they pan down and you see that her husband chained to her ankle. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. yeah that's, that's that was metal as fuck. Hell yeah, dude. And just these little filmmaking instincts, like when he uh, keeps arriving back into the town, mm -hmm. and he plays the little game where yep, the lines in the road line up, light up, and by the third time, even Sam Neill's like, oh, god damn it, here we go, back into the town again. He oh. does these little things that just like, oh, yeah, that's right, visual filmmaking. Like, it's something that... Well, I don't want to say a lot of filmmakers don't do anymore, but it's that inherentness, inherent effective filmmaking. I, I agree completely. And to add to that, just a small little effect that I didn't notice until it got towards probably about halfway through the movie. Every time that you zoom in on the character's face, did you guys notice what color their eyes were? Um, I don't notice what anybody's eyes are. Okay. But I noticed the weird... Every time that there was a close-up, just a like a portrait shot, mm -hmm. their eyes are blue. Which we later learn is whose favorite color? Oh, oh shit, yeah. Look at you and your giant brain. No wonder you have that yeah, big hat on to keep that notes. giant... <laughs> I, I can't fucking more. prepare. And I will not lie, I thought it was crazy, so I went on IMDb and did yeah, like yeah. the trivia... Sure enough, like halfway down, I was like, holy fuck. All right, I didn't just imagine that. All right, cool. Yeah, so, in the, have another, you visual, read another visual aid to just descend you into some madness. Yeah, Love because it. it, like I was saying, with the showing the repetitive images so many times where there's just a slight difference, uh, again, I believe that plays to obviously the theme of the film is wait a minute, is that different? And then you start doing that little game throughout the entire thing where you're trying to spot, like, okay, I've seen this location or something before. Like, wait a minute, is it different? Why is it different? Okay, that's it, really interesting because there's a, it is a filmmaking technique, but it's also a, a technique in um, sleight of hand magic. You're doing what's called priming. You're priming a movement. You're, you're repeating the movement enough times that everybody's used to seeing that movement. So whatever change you have to make, you can make because people are used to seeing that. Mm -hmm. They threw the changes up because my brain is, okay, this is the pattern. Okay, I get the pattern because, you know, I'll recognize the pattern without acknowledging. And then it changes, and then I'm uncomfortable. And this, this happens in a lot of movies. They'll use space. They'll use something else. To, just that little, that little tiny, subtle thing to make you uncomfortable. God damn, that's good. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and there's a lot of little nuances like that in this film that really make you make you think about what the fuck you're watching. Because one of my first notes I took, just because it was featured prominently in the opening, is um, um, Sam Neill Trent's uh, cell number, number nine. Mm -hmm. If you notice, when he gets to Hobbs End, what room number does he have? Oh shit! Fuck number me, running nine. 
Shit. <laughs> what room number does he have at the hotel towards the end of the movie once he leaves Hobbs End? Nine. Forty-four. Number nine. Twenty-three. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the Michael Jordan suite. So for some reason that just stuck with me because I was like, like you're gonna throw that back somewhere, right? There's no reason to show that so prominently. But again, that leads to <clears throat> at least my kind of confusion. Like, what is we? What's reality? What's fiction? What's actually going on in this movie? Because now we have this number popping up. I don't know. Maybe it was because uh, he was a Beatles fan. Number nine. Number Could nine. Have been a Beatles fan. I like to think of it as a a nice nod to Kubrick myself. Well, but. yeah. And say, and one of the other things that I think he does very effectively, and like, it, I, I want to say it draws you into madness, but it's not confusing. There are very erratic shifts in time. Oh God, yeah. And oh not, yes. And not just when. Uh, uh, Styles is driving, and she goes over like the weird light bridge or whatever, and they right. end up in Hobbs End. I had like, thought I a- was having aphasia. I was like, what, "What's going on? Uh, did I, mi- did I-, I?" I did the exact same thing. I just sat there for a second. I was like, "I actually rewound it because I was like, did I? Okay, it wasn't did I just did, me. did like did I sit on my remote? Did one of my cats step on it? What what the hell did I just miss?" And I was like, "Oh, I didn't miss anything. Okay." Yeah, We're just going uh, into this mysterious Hobbs end. And, and it seems like almost in the beginning of the day when he's talking to Mrs. Pickman at uh, the hotel. Yes. And Styles runs behind him and takes the car and fucking zooms off. Next time we see Sam Neill, he's walking and it's dark outside and he's walking to the bar. It's just these yeah. erratic shifts in time. Mm-hmm. There was that, another one, too, where uh, I forgot they were in an interior with him and, him and Styles or they were walking in bright sunshine and the minute they walked out it was like gray dusk it was like either morning or just going towards evening just before the sun hits past the clouds yep i noticed that as well and i'm like and then you see another shot and it's midlight and you're like that is that is weird and it again it just goes to john carpenter being able to like control the film because we've like, the ninth configuration is batshit nuts. Yeah. And this movie, you could say, is batshit nuts, but it all follows the themes of the film, too. And it's so efficiently done that, I mean, this movie's, what, hour and a half? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it's, that was it's it. It's a breezy 90 minutes. Thank but God. It, it, it felt longer than an hour and a half, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But it had some draggy parts. It, it definitely did. But a little more exposition overall, than I needed. We'll get to your opinion on the ending because I have a very differing opinion. That's all right. We'll get there. And, and I, I think it's a real funny John Carpenter thing just because, you know, he hates, a, he's kind of a libertarian, what have you. The, you think? Uh, our protagonist of our film, who uh, if initially just doesn't like art uh, effectively, the novels, is just a kind of a slimeball insurance fraud guy. Like, mm, yeah, that's real John Carpenter as fuck. Yeah. Love it. Sam mm. Neill, mm, perfect. Uh, fuck us up with his accent, though. He's he was British. doing his, uh, no, he's uh, um, oh, from New Zealand. Yeah, that's <coughs> what, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, John Carpenter asked him to try his American accent. John <laughs> Carpenter said, no. <laughs> hey, never mind. <laughs> yeah, we're going to pass on that, bud. Uh, just try to talk maybe not so, like, native New Zealand. Okay. Cause but he, you'll, it, you'll notice some verbal tics that you can tell where it's like, what? what how did what all your you vowels turn into eyes, yeah, buddy? Exactly. How did you say them but them? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> like, I was curious because it on. almost sounded like he was trying to do that, that weird mid-Atlantic accent <laughs> that, like, they used to do in the 30s and 40s for those films. Oh, yeah. Where they're not quite British, but not quite American. That Cary Grant shit. I thought he was trying to pull that, and I'm like, that's. are you trying to do New England? What the fuck's going on? It took me about he, five minutes to he get He was probably it. trying to do some sort of American accent throughout <laughs> all of it, but it just blended right back into his native tongue. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But I, I don't want to sit here and rag on Sam Neill, because, man, no. is he a treasure. Yes. And, and it's very interesting that he did this, like, almost immediately after Jurassic Park. That he went from working <laughs> with Steven Spielberg to, like, yeah, I'll do this weirdo fucking John Carpenter film. And he was, like, the seventh choice to play. Uh-huh. 
like Michael Keaton was up for it, Ray Liotta, like all, all these young bucks just that were storming on the scene. And we end up with our national treasure, Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other other casting choice that I'd heard is uh, I, I do want to talk about Jurgen Prock now as oh. Sutter Kane because man, fucking love. Uh, character actors, I didn't even know. Like all I could see was the guy from Beer Fest and all the other. <laughs> no, because that's where I knew him from the most, right? Because I've seen that movie about seven thousand billion times. Well, haven't we all? We've all been drunk or stoned in yeah. college and seen that. <laughs> yeah, okay, um, but um, anytime how, I how what? I'm, sh- I'm showing their age now. <laughs> He's a baby. I'm a baby. But no, every time I've ever seen him in any movie, I can't not look at that motherfucker. Yeah. I don't know, just besides how he looks, the way he carries himself, and you just, you're forced to watch him. And, and uh, from what I was reading, like, they really wanted Rutger Hauer. Yes. Like, man, I, I don't know if we should uh, mess with the timeline on that one, because nope. as much as I love Rutger Hauer, Man, Jurgen Prochnow fucking killed this. Oh my god, he brought that gravitas. Mm-hmm. And, and did you guys recognize the bartender, Simon? No. Did you recognize who he was? No. Vigo the Carpathian. <gasps> yes, he was. Fuck me running. Yep. So, <coughs> I don't know what that means. Very Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters, Oh, too. shit. Oh, sorry. I don't watch Ghostbusters too a whole lot. <laughs> no, but that's one of those things that sticks out in the movie. It's Vigo the Carpathian. Yeah, yeah all right. And like, yeah. I saw his face, and I immediately, I was like, that's Vigo. It has to be Vigo. Googled it, boom. All right. I Look wrong. at him. I thought I did some research. This motherfucker's <laughs> got his doctorate and shit. So, Damn. So I, I see you've got your finger on some notes. That you, What would you like to get to there, well, I mean, there, Ms. There, Ms. there's Mr. a lot. Again, I don't know the, the structure you guys normally do. So <laughs> we, we freewheel it. Yeah. I can see that. So, yeah. I, I just mean, started taking notes from the beginning. Number one, fucking killer opening song for this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just some fucking asshole coked out of his mind just fucking trying to shred and it sounds like shit but it's awesome oh yeah but i mean that was the late 80s early 90s so mm -hmm. yeah fuck it why not that was the first thing i thought i was like oh come on not anymore and then all of a sudden goes from that metal intro to just like a nice blue collar feel and you're just kind of like nice and relaxed and then obviously we get to the real opening which is just like we talked about earlier just fucked up it, it, with a dr sapper scene yep god who the fuck who's that guy uh that's a nod to the doctor and rosemary's baby i would have god. to imagine. no but i mean the actor who did it uh, who oh not f- a goddamn clue nope. fucking love that guy no idea and that's the th- like i was saying that's one of the things that i love the most about john carpenter is because you remove him and like the weird setup of that hospital that's a real intense scene yep. oh, yeah yeah but but instead, there's this weird grinning maniac doctor who's just like delighted at the sight of a just a raving Sam yeah, Neil. And it's a, it's a great Carpenter pull because who else is going to pull people like that or Ernest Borgnine or you know these amazing character people yeah. that may not get a lot of work otherwise fucking gets in a Carpenter movie. Visually, anybody he picks, you're fucking looking at. Oh, I mean, Escape from New York. Look at that. You've got. Isaac Hayes, for mm-hmm. some reason? Mm-hmm. Motherfucker killed that shit. He's one bad mother... Shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely up there for the, in the running of, like, favorite Carpenter movies. Oh, Escape from New York is... God, it's so much fun. <laughs> such a fun movie. Makes zero sense. And I love every second of it. But And that's what I love, too, is that in this very intense scene of Sam Neill being dragged into a fucking basically a rubber room Mm -hmm. one of the first things that one of the first lines that opens this film is him screaming sorry about the balls (laughs) yes that was my next note (laughs) who the fuck else gets away from gets away with that besides john carpenter also five minutes later sorry about the balls again (laughs) (laughs) it was unintentional but yeah, then it, it does kind of, uh, I don't want to say trail off, but there's a whole lot of, uh, like, Sam Neill like, <coughs> being the, like, investigator. It does take mm-hmm. a minute to get to, 
the like the meat of this, but he also has sense enough to pace it to where the uh, uh, what ends up being what his publicist or mm-hmm. his agent, the editor. No, his agent. That comes oh, his up with agent the axe. with the editor. Yes, yes. Yeah, that smashes through the axe with yep. the weirdo eyes and the. Uh, I really love the effect that they did with his voice. Yes, because obviously it's not. There's no way that that is that man's voice. Right. No. Right. Uh, yeah, the hypnotoad eyes. Loved them. Uh huh. Wait for the <laughs> Do you read Sutter Kane? Do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> so then we lose a year somehow. Yeah. Just a year has passed. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you could tell. It's just like uh, you're you're supposed to infer how. Yeah. Just a, a year's just gone. Do you want to chalk it up to memory loss, disorientation? Or just part of Carpenter this being uh yeah. No, Sutter didn't get that part of the story, homie. He just like, yeah, fuck it. We'll just we'll hop ahead. That's you know. Fair enough. They used some ham wa- right. hand wavium. It was great. And then, oh, Charlton Heston. Oh, oh I, Chuck. God damn it. <laughs> that, that's one of those, like, yeah, he was kind of, like, already a right-wing nut by 94, but, mm-hmm. like, man, he wasn't at full peak Charlton Heston. But I could see as how he and John Carpenter are probably pals. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> this is just prior to Depends, Charlton Heston. So he still had some chops, you know what I mean? He was still there. But also, like I said, and it it goes along with what I was saying before with the repetitive imagery, he also throws in in the beginning, we're saying it kind of drags, but really, I mean, there's a fucking, basically, if you replaced uh, dicks in a gangbang with axes, there's a gangbang axe murder. Yes. (laughs) Every single page of my notes has the word axes just written all over it. Like, what the fuck is up with all the axe imagery? Uh, it's super duper violent. <laughs> yeah. And then you can film it coming back and then you can film it in and it's easier. Yeah. And it's horrific. All right. I'll axe murder. And, and axes rule, dude. Hell hey, yeah. If you're going to yeah. be doing murders, I mean, John Carpenter's already done butcher knives. Mm-hmm. So t- this is true. And guns. So, I mean, it, and it is one of those things that like a stabbing with a knife is scary, obviously. But, like, in axe murder, if you're going to be making a horror film, fucking throw a couple axe murders in there. Now, I do have a question real quick, though. And I don't know if it was... I, w- I watched mine on Tubi also, but um, I don't know if they... Was that extra dark? Did it seem extra dark to you? Because I was watching on my television, and there were a bunch of scenes where I could barely see what was going on. There was a scene earlier where he was kind of furtive in a room, and... and I couldn't tell if there were shadows or he had smudged something under his eyes. Yeah, he smudges the uh, the ink comes off. I think it's off the it's book. The it's from the black cranny he asked for, right? When he, I no, this he, is earlier in the movie. When he's oh, okay. uh, sitting in his house reading the Sutter Kane book. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That is from no. the book. Yeah, where he gets like ink oh, on his okay. fingers and rubs it oh, under okay. his eyes. Because yeah. I couldn't tell because the it was it was so dark that I couldn't tell if. They were supposed to represent shadows because I could barely see anything. Yeah, anyway. I, I will agree with you. I didn't watch it on Tubi, mm. but I did notice that some scenes were a little too dark to discern everything that was going on. But that was more towards the end of the movie when we get to mm-hmm. all of the crazy, esoteric, eldritch stuff. Gotcha, so. gotcha. But also, I mean, you look at the lighting in the scene where uh, he's busting the dude for insurance fraud. Yeah. That's lit almost like really orange, too. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, they could just be like, hey, what do I think this should look like for this scene? And the smudging under the eyes is obviously the the callback to the uh, beginning where he's covered in Mm. the the black crayon and what have you. Because I couldn't tell because it almost looked like it was moving as he turned. So, again, that was just my cut, I think. Right. And then, I mean, it's... I want to say that it drags, but it really kind of doesn't. But, I mean, there's the long car sequences with him and Styles. that It takes a minute for them to get anywhere with that. And then walking around the empty, desolate town. Like, I understand the mood that he's trying to build. That it is this very, like, picturesque USA, Stephen King, New England-y town mm-hmm. that's completely empty. And they do a bit of walking around there. That, all right, man, we can cut this a little. Yeah. But, but then we see, well, 
we the viewers and styles see the children and the dog from the town. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Trent, Trent doesn't see them this first time. He doesn't see them the second time or the third time. Oh, because he hasn't read Setter Kane. Correct. That's right. I, yeah, okay, okay, okay. So he doesn't understand what's going on, whereas Styles, the unreliable editor, shall we say, sees them right off the bat and then actually goes to visit them at the black church. Right. Yeah, because uh, he makes a note saying, you know, if these books were actually clues and like a roadmap effectively to this, if I open this window, there should be a church with uh, big like black onions on the top and blah, blah, blah. And mm. instead, it's just a barn. And it, it is. It's just a fucking dilapidated a, ass barn. It is a barn. Then Styles immediately corrects him. Oh, you didn't read very closely. It clearly says the east window. And we open the window to the east, and what do we see? Dun, dun, dun. The black church. And again, that lead, lends to the feeling of madness, because that gigantic open field with this gigantic church shouldn't be there. No, not mm. at all. What, what the movie actually quotes is it's a, it's, a, it's a Byzantine church. Yeah, it looked like a Russian why, Orthodox why, church. Why would that exist anywhere other than, you know somewhere in eastern europe exactly because i've been to some towns in in up in vermont and maine not very rife with uh eastern orthodox i'm just saying <laughs> no, no i don't imagine not a whole so. lot of that out there <laughs> no and, and yeah the uh imagery of the townspeople showing up and them believing that like shit we gotta go trent like they're here and they have guns and then we find out that they're there for sutter kane oh well, that was they're, no they're actually there for johnny Oh, well, yeah, yeah, but... Kane! <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. That, that they're, was... they're calling for Kane, but they're, they're coming there because they want the kid back. They want Johnny back. Right, and that was a nice turn because as they're coming out of the church, you're going, what the fuck is up with these people? Mm-hmm. And they're encroaching, and they're encroaching, and you're like, fuck, are they the for them? And, and you can tell by the look on two actors' faces, like, fuck, are they coming? What, what are we doing? And she's trying to run, and he's just standing there going... Fuck. Well, now Styles has read all of Sutter Kane, so she knows what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas Trent still doesn't. Right. He's still not. He's still not believing anything that's going on is anything other than a hoax. Oh, this is just a hoax. This is a soundstage. These are paid actors trying to get me to believe it so that I can sell yeah, it to the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, they just want to sell Sutter Kane's next book. Well, <laughs> and then he releases the Dobermans. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. Which I, I immediately only saw three, so I thought it was a, a nod to, like, Cerberus. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden I see, like, six more of these motherfuckers, and I was like, oh, well, okay, there goes my theory. And the only thing I could laugh to myself was like, oh, no, these are a bunch of hillbillies with guns. Like, I understand <laughs> why he didn't do it, because you don't, like, just kill an animal in a movie, but that would have just been a dog massacre. <laughs> And I will tell you, just, just rednecks blowing away dogs. <laughs> I know, but right now everybody is like the pities and mastiffs and all that stuff. And for, for like a period of my life, probably from about 75 to about 90, if any, any horror story you heard about a dog, it was the Dobermans were the scariest motherfucking dogs that ever walked the face of the planet. And you saw a Doberman, you walked across the street. And they're well-trained dogs, and they don't attack unless you train them, you know. But it's like, yep. it, it was a thing. So you saw a Doberman. Like, now I see a Doberman. It's like, oh, it's nice doggy. Because, you know, you, you think of pit bulls and shit. So that took a little bit of the oomph out for me. But that's just generational. And I know if I had seen it in 94, I'd been like, fucking Dobermans, run! Yeah. So, I... I mean, we can kind of like sum up the rest of this is it's pretty much a descent into madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's mm-hmm. monsters all over the place. Uh, he can't leave the town. Tentacles. Hell yeah, dude. Lots oh, of yeah. tentacles. Hells yeah. And all I mean, of the tentacles. Dude, the effects in this film for 94 and uh. I mean, not having two years like they had on the thing or whatever to sit and set up all this. Man, they look good. Yeah, they did. I Mrs. enjoyed practical Mrs. effects. Mrs. Pickman is a tentacle monster with an axe. Mm-hmm. Man, that's cool. <laughs> that was very cool, actually. Yes. There were there were a couple moments where I'm like, ooh, you went a little too far. Because, you know, it's, it's like this. You want to suggest more than you show. Because the whole idea of Eldritch Horror is that it's indescribable and just the mere sight will drive you mad. 
just like reading the book is supposed to drive you completely out of your mind. And uh, so I, I really wanted to get to, like, is what they're trying to say is that, like, how do I say this uh, not stupidly, is the point that art imitates life, imitates art, imitates life, because Sutter Kane is talking about how, well, I didn't think any of this would... I know Mr. Jerkoff motion, but he's saying that, you know, well, almost like any religion, none of this is real until enough people believe it. Mm-hmm. And the the entire film, they're talking about how, you know, uh, it's mass hysteria due to these books. People oh, are yeah. killing it's, each other in the streets. Pure, yeah, it's, it's, it's his fantasy come to life. This is what he wants. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was just trying to almost parse out, like, what is John Carpenter trying to say with all this? Cause, yeah, he's borrowing all these, but John Carpenter usually has a theme to his films as well. Like, he's using Lovecraftian horror as, like, a basis for things. But saying, you know, very pointedly saying that, I, yeah, I create reality now because I write it. And, and when enough people believe it, it makes it real. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was trying to parse out, like, it, what is he getting at here? What do, what do you guys think he is trying to say? Because, I mean... After the third inversion, I cease to give a flying fuck. <laughs> a hat on a hat on a hat. Hey, wait, there's a bow on that hat. Look, from the side angle. Okay, there you go. <laughs> why? <laughs> it just seemed a little bit too much. If they'd have gone, like... Because they... Pissed me off with it's all a dream, and then he does this, and then they go back to that, and then he's in the uh, fuck all that. Right, but I mean, we've seen shit like that. There, there was Beatlemania, and I mean, it was chaos and people wondering like, hey, is this dangerous? Like, should we be doing this? And again, is he trying to say that like, yeah, that art does inform just general culture as well. And when enough people believe, I mean, look at history, you tell enough lies about things and eventually it becomes true. We all see Christopher Columbus as like, Oh, he found America. No, he was just kind of a slave trader and uh, And, not even kind of piece of shit. Yeah. A a real piece of shit, but you tell a lie enough times and it becomes reality. Oh yeah. That's how shit works. But, that's how you get the Mandela effect and stuff. You, you hear it enough times, it becomes your reality. But going back to this thing, are we supposed to posit that he is completely insane? Because a lot of the stuff that we've got a lot of POVs that he could not personally have had. Right. There's conversations that we see that he could not have been part of, but if it was all part of his madness. Or is it the Eldritch Horror? But if it is, why did it end up as a movie and a talk about the talk about how fic- fiction can become reality with belief. Or is it about, it, it, it does one too many twists because now it, you, if you follow each one back to its source, it, it's pointless. It's, it's, ch- it's like an Ouroboros. It's chasing its own tail. Oh, I understand that. Yeah. I, I would go so far as to say I think both Trent and... Um, why am I blanking in the author's name? Crane are both subjects to their own egos at this point. Um, clearly Trent thinks that he is sane up until the end where does he really accept it? We don't really get a clear conclusion on that. Whereas we get Crane, his demise, which foreshadowed earlier by, Trent tearing up the book novel's covers to make a map to this somewhat fictitious town to Crane tearing himself open like a book and unleashing the old ones, as he refers them, which clear Lovecraftian reference there. But he's doing so for his own ego because he had just finished his book, handed off the manuscript and it's gone. He he's done his purpose. But Trent still has to live out what's written? Or Could, does he? Is he able to change that with that or does he let his ego become the best of him? Or are we to infer again that the Eldritch horror exists and caused the madness? 
Because throughout the entire film, Trent is constantly saying, like, no, this is reality. This is reality. And the point of Sutter Kane is, no, I make reality. Yes. And I think that's a very interesting point, is that they do both fall victim to their own ego, in a way, because Sam Neill is so into just busting people for this thing. Mm-hmm. And even Styles asking me, you know, like, have you ever busted anyone you know? He goes, oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, this is reality. This is... Got to get to the bottom of shit. That's his, that's his thing. That, that's uh-huh. his job. This is raison yeah. d'etre. That is, that is his modus operandi. Like, he, that, that's what he does. So, of course, he's not believing any of this the whole time. And, and I, I really, I really like that conceit throughout the whole movies. Like for most of the movies, like yeah, fuck a bunch of all this. This is all yeah. bullshit. And, and I'm was wondering what he was trying to say with the uh, end, where he's watching effectively the film that we just watched, but it's out of sequence. Mm-hmm. It's completely out of sequence. Yes. Again, it's that unreliable narrator. Like, okay, well, you keep talking about reality. What is his vision of reality, and where it? Is, I guess, is Sutter Kane real? Or is this all a delusion that he's had that, because, I mean, Heston tells him, like, yeah, you gave me that book months ago. Six months ago. It's been out for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and we, it's about to be a movie. We can also infer that throughout this, he wrote, he wrote the manuscript of his entire thing. And then he, because of that, reality was rewritten. Or, you could infer that, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's just too many. It's like, I like plot hooks. I like, I like following trails. But you give me too goddamn many. And none of them pull up anywhere satisfying. Uh, I mean, but I guess isn't that the point of art, though? Is to not lay it out on a silver platter for you? I mean... Right, but if, this if, just looks like, hey, let's throw another one on there. Hey, fuck it. Let's, let's do another one because I can make it maybe kind of hook up to this. Ha, let's throw another one. This would be funny. Ha. Well, and I, I do think it's almost odd that because I believe the first scream was, what, 96? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was heralded for having this you know, huge meta narrative within it. Like, well, In the Mouth of Madness did that two years earlier. And I mean... When he walks into the movie theater, it says, In a Mouth of Mad... On the Marquee, mm-hmm. In the Mouth of Madness, directed by John Carpenter. Side note, uh, the movie poster, uh, this is not one of my notes. I imdb this. But the movie poster credits um, the director, the cinematographer, and the producer, yet none of the stars are on that poster stars of the movie that we're watching currently that Trent is about to go watch their names as actors are not on there. It's their names within the movie. Oh, wow. So, Oh, it is because it does say starring, uh, Trent or yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. some deep dive shit. Homie. Yeah. And again, like I, I didn't notice it at first cause I, like I read the top line I saw John Carpenter, blah, blah, blah. But before I came on here, I was like, ah, what did I miss? And like I said, I, I got some things right, but I completely missed that. So that brings a whole new level to, was he watching himself? And why was it out of sequence? Because that fuck you, that's the why. Madness? <laughs> I say, or did he actually axe murder somebody in the street because he believed there was a weird conspiracy and that's why he's in the uh, mental institution and hey, we're all the hero of our own story. Yeah, but this is the same argument we had about, uh, what was that one movie where uh, had the, the, um, the head given the med? What was that movie? Fucking with the chick at the, the saw? High Tension? High Tension, ah. yeah. Where this shit couldn't have been because there was a yeah characters had interactions that they couldn't possibly have had right and and i find the same thing in this movie which is why it's you know i'm like well the endings and any of the a lot of the narratives don't make sense because there's a pov that he couldn't have had right but that also lends to the madness there are other situations that couldn't possibly have existed there's also an eldritch horror which one is it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, come on. 
Now, see, I, I thoroughly liked the ending to this film because it literally goes from him laughing, watching what are supposedly his own escapades throughout this movie that we have literally been watching, and he slowly dissolves into a maniacal laughter at the end where he's sobbing. So I I came to the conclusion that, yes. He's in he, purgatory? He finally succumbed to madness. No, not purgatory. <laughs> Fuck that season six of lost shit. Oh, no, I'm talking about Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> oh, well, that too. Fuck that. I fucking love that movie. It is a good movie, actually. Yeah. Eh. Hey, I'm iffy on it. We I'm we iffy. covered it. Yeah. <laughs> Although, side note, yeah. end credits, <clears throat> none of the main characters are listed. Nope, I noticed that immediately. None of the main characters are listed. They're not credited at all. Now, if you recall when he finally gets, when Trent finally gets out of the town, he wakes up at a four-way stop where the devil's going to fucking sell his souls or mm-hmm. play the guitar or some shit. And I ra- felt that. And a random paper boy comes by. Do we know who that paper boy was? Hayden Christensen. He was credited. Anakin Skywalker's premiere role. Fuck me running. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, hell. I didn't recognize his face, but because the main main actors were not listed, he was like fourth or fifth on there. And I was like, holy shit, that was Hayden Christensen. Mm-hmm. All right. That's badass. Cool. Yeah. Look at you and your giant brain. Look at you. Oh, man. Coming prepared. I try. Hell I try, yeah. guys. More so than we did. Fuck. <laughs> He's got to do this again. Uh, probably. Yeah. We'll get around to it. But, uh, all right, uh, we should probably bring this. Does anybody have any final thoughts about In the Mouth of Madness? Let me go through my notes. Okay, so what the fuck is up with the cyclist? Oh, the, the the kid slash old man on the bike. Oh, that I I do not have any way to discern or interpret the meaning of his existence. I, that's other some than weird the time town. loop shit. Uh, yeah, that, was, that's the only way I can think of it. Because I, everything else was out of sequence. So yeah, it I, was like that other movie we watched where people are stuck in their own individual yeah, time the loops. endless. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I took that as a. Uh, I guess it yeah it wouldn't make sense with the rest of the movie because I thought it was oh well they've been kind of like magically stuck in this town forever right because my but, but my, also oh it's Sutter Kane's currently writing all of this right. so I guess yeah that doesn't really match up it doesn't match up especially because I thought the paperboy with the cards and the spokes yeah. like. I immediately thought, oh, shit, he's still stuck in this town. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But then he asked the kid, hey, have you heard of Hobbs End? Nope. Kid's like, nah. And just bye. rides away. <laughs> Highway's over there, bud. My first thought was, and this happens like in Lovecraft books and, it, yeah. and that kind of stuff, where you, you're normal and then you experience this eldritch horror and your hair turns completely white. And that's what I thought would happen until I saw the visible effects of the age. Yes. Because that would have made more sense to me, having read Lovecraft. Yeah. But the fact that they showed him aged, and then I was like, well, that's why I had to get that time loop thing. Because, again, I have to, yep. in order to continue watching, sometimes I have to inhabit it with shit that i got to make it make sense to me mm-hmm. so I can like it more. Nope, and I, I noticed that as well, and if you notice the same thing with uh, Simon the bartender, Vigo the Carpathian, he also has predominantly white hair, mm-hmm. um, which you and yeah. I are familiar with Lovecraft and everything. That's that's a sign yeah. of madness. Yep, that or the the blank eyes, or the you, yep. white hair overnight, Just that, that, that blank stare. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah. I, there, there are a couple things in there that I was just confused about. I did like the uh, the Lynchian use of uh, blue light throughout the movie. I'll say that. Yeah, when, because when, what the fuck else is he referencing other than Lynch? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, no one else was doing that. Other there's than no Lynch. way. There's no way those two weirdos don't know each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
and your weather today. Oh, God. <laughs> either, I guarantee you, either they're like tight. If they've met, they're either tight friends or they can't fucking stand each I, other. I was going to say the exact same thing. They either want to punch each other or just make sweet, sweet Lynchian <laughs> Mm. Carpenter John, Carpenter, John Carpenter lets out a sigh every time he looks at the <laughs> caller ID and it says Lynch and he's just like I don't have time for this today Dave <laughs> I already know the weather Dave <laughs> and we both know neither of us are going to climax tonight let's just let's just make dinner tomorrow I brought the nitrous <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy Heineken fuck that shit <laughs> Pabst Blue Ribbon, baby. boy. <laughs> oh, that dude. might be my favorite Lynch movie. Mm. Wild at Heart. Great mm-hmm. film. Wild at Heart is great. Yes. I did not know what I was getting into when I grabbed that movie. It was just one of those things. Wild at Fuck it. I'll just grab it. I just grabbed it off the shelf and oh, put it in. Fantastic movie. And I, after about 15 minutes, what the fuck am I watching? Oh, God. And Go I watch Inland Empire. Yeah. My favorite David Lynch thing is there is a special feature on the Inland Empire DVD that I own is just him showing you how to cook quinoa. <laughs> it's the dumbest ass thing ever, but I've watched it like five times just to watch David Lynch explain like, yeah, you got to bring it to a boil and that it's really good for you. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? It's like that Andy Warhol idea of if you can like film somebody just opening a cheeseburger wrapper without them being aware and it's actually its own thing yeah then it's art i'm like okay hey so that's what he was doing he was doing that art Uh, so long story short we'll we'll go around would you guys uh recommend in the mouth of madness yes absolutely oh yeah but oh. the ending can go fuck itself. All right. I you disagree. I, I absolutely love the ending of this film. I thought it accurately displayed the descent. And some people like madness. mayonnaise, too. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> oh, mayonnaise God. can go fuck itself, too, just it's like amazing. the ending of this well, goddamn ketchup movie. can go fuck itself. Let me tell you that. Sorry. Philistine. <laughs> you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> We're going to get not. into a condiment war. <laughs> uh, we're not doing that again. We've already gone into condiments, I think, as much as two humans can possibly go into condiments. <laughs> oh, no, there's more. There's yeah. combinations of condiments, goddammit. All right. <laughs> Aaron, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? I have nothing to plug. It's my first time on a podcast. I'm happy to be here and hopefully be back soon for something oh hell yeah james where can people find us whore vomit podcast at gmail.com motherfucker and i had to practice that on the way up i fuck it up every third time they can find us every time don't don't give yourself (laughs) undeserved credit i was trying to look cool for the for the guest you don't have to step on my dick that quick. Keep going okay you can find us on the instagram you can find us on the facebook and uh, also, uh, you can go to uh, Apple Podcasts or at the top of your little Spotify app and give us some stars. We're begging for the stars. Give us all the stars. It, it does help people find us in the algorithm. And uh, maybe one day James and I can make those millions and millions of and, podcast dollars. And make at least a magic five-word response on that. Because that's the magic number. We could be multi-hundredaires I'm, in about ten years. I would like to be... <laughs> A $5 air. That would be nice. Uh, mm, that sweet, sweet cash. What I wouldn't do for $5. <laughs> what I would do for $5. Is watch In the Mouth of Madness. Eh, I'd watch In the Mouth of Madness for free. Yeah. I mean, I just currently did. Yeah, yeah I think we all did. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm not paying you $5 for this air. You son of a bitch. Mainly because I don't have $5. <laughs> Well, if that was the agreement. Well, that's why I wanted five dollars. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I got. I'm pinching it off. I got to pee again. Would I you pee- recommend this movie? I yes. I God damn it, James. I got to fucking pee. Can we'll we do be the done? thing? Good night. Oh, uh, oh. Uh, well, that, it's, you got to push the button and don't shit. Don't yell at me when I'm yelling at you. Push the button. All right. Good night. Thank you for listening, everybody. Good night. Um, Good night. Bye. Bye.